1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to put it on the screen, and then you're going to read it with me. I think we're going to... I want you to read it. This is kind of our key verse, kind of pulls it. It's a central idea of what's going on uh, in 1 Thessalonians. Read it out loud with me. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. <laughs> It's so good. So last week, what we talked about uh, from our text is that we are able to live a life worthy of imitating. <clears throat> we, we don't have to live a life that we are ashamed of, but we can live a life that is worthy of being imitated by our children, by our spouse, by those that we go to church with, by those that, are, that we work with, that are in our community. We are fully capable of living a life worthy of imitating because we know that God loves us and has chosen us to be His people. That's pretty exciting. Look at your neighbor and say, we are God's people. We're not just anybody's people. We are God's people. That's pretty cool. We know this to be true because, from our text last week, the Holy Spirit gives believers joy. Thank you. For all the rest of them, they're like, yeah, whatever. I would rather he just bring donuts. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives us joy despite suffering through immediate circumstances. Life is rough, but we have the Holy Spirit to get us through. And when we live a life worthy of imitating, we will become, I love this, we will become the desirable, the uh, enviable life to other believers and even non-believers. This is a good time to be for envy, is whenever people look at our lives and say, I want to have that man's life. He is happy. He has joy. He is content. He is just above it all. That's good. That's a, as opposed to, you know, so sometimes Christianity, people look at us and they're like, ugh. I don't want to hang out with those people. They're a downer. <laughs> so I'll tell you a story. I digress before I start. Fair enough. Uh, 15 years ago, before we started Desert Heights, my wife and my kids, we went around and we visited a bunch of the churches in San Juan County just to see what was going on. I mean, I was raised in a denomination. I was paid to go to church as a staff member, so I never visited any other churches. And so we went and visited, and uh, we got to go to uh, Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches and Nazarene churches and I don't know, we, Methodist churches, we saw a whole bunch of, of different versions of churches. And you know what? Common theme, we're singing out of the same hymnal, preaching somewhat out of the same Bible, and they're all boring. <laughs> That's sad. It's pathetic. Uh, you could tell that the young people that were going to church were there because their parents were either screaming at them, telling them they had to go to church or they were going to go to hell. That's a great motivation. Or grandparents are paying them to go to church. <laughs> I will buy you a car if you'll go to church. Poor kids. So we started Desert Heights. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, an objective, but it's just, you know, church should be happy. Church should be fun. I'm going to heaven and I'm enjoying the trip. And I think that everybody else ought to enjoy the trip as well. So, uh, so that's why we get excited singing and we have a good time and we eat donuts and we're just living the good life. Uh, so our text 
uh, today is going to further develop the idea of living in a way that others notice and can imitate. Now, I want to let you in on a little conversation that Josh and I had earlier in the week uh, here in the office because we have, we, we talk about random things just it's always random. Uh, so, so the topic was how, how do we communicate outside of the church walls? Okay, you have to, I have to bring you into the conversation here. Outside of the church walls, how do we communicate to people outside of the church walls that a sin-filled lifestyle is immediately damaging to a person without coming across as judgmental or demeaning? Because this is difficult. Because sometimes I, I meet with people and they're living, it, it, from my perspective, it's like, I am going to destroy my life if it kills me. So you're well on your way. I don't. But if you say something to them, if you say, you, you know what, if you would stop sinning, your life would improve greatly. Well, you're just a judgmental preacher, Right? Or you're a Christian, so don't push your faith on me. So it doesn't matter what we say to them, they push back, right? So we have this, this um, juxtaposition. That's what that is. That's a juxtaposition. So our conclusion, because Josh and I are geniuses, we figured this out. Not that it hasn't been figured out ages ago, but we, we figured it out again this week. After several cups of pots of coffee, <laughs> this is what we figured out. The community, the community outside of the walls of the church must see our actions. They must see our faith-driven works. They must see our loving deeds, and they must see our enduring hope. Then they will see our lives as desirable and listen to us and be motivated to know God in a personal way. Doesn't that make great sense? Yeah. Uh, gospel is powerful. Are we to proclaim the gospel? Absolutely. But Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica to say, the way you are living is powerful. He didn't say what you're preaching. He says, what well, the way you're living is... Okay, Brent, just get to the text. Here we go. So living out loud. Do you guys remember the Sharpie commercial ages ago? You can write out loud. I always thought that was an ingenious commercial. So finally I get to use it in the title. We're living out loud. We're not talking out loud. There's a time to shut up. This is why we have children's ministry, because they learn words they're not supposed to say in the auditorium. <laughs> I don't want my kids saying that. There is a time to be quiet, okay? So Paul, he often, uh, so, so you have my title, Living out, out Loud. Hopefully you have a bulletin. There's the outline is there. We're going to get there in a minute. Paul often builds his argument or his ideas, his thought, from general to specific. So he makes a real broad statement, and then he brings it in and makes it very specific. So I'm going to pick up with last week, uh, verse 7. He says, as a result, it's not, not going to be on the screen or anything. You just got to trust me now. As a result, you have become an example, you as the church at Thessalonica, you have become an example to all believers in Greece throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia. In general, so the general, the big picture is the lives of the believers at Thessalonica have become examples to other believers in the region. They are, they are living a life worth imitating. 
and other people are seeing it. So verses 8 and 9 today will describe in more detail the how. How the Thessalonians uh, example has influenced other Christians all around uh, uh, Greece and all over that region. And it's even tell us even beyond Greece. Your life has made a difference in Greece and beyond. So number one, the hopeful, uh, pardon me, hopeful news travels fast. We are getting to a text here in just a minute, okay? So hopeful news travels fast. In the business industry, bad news travels fast. Bad news travels fast because good news is kept a secret, right? Yeah, you don't want to share your best stock tips, Now, if the market's going to crash and we all see it, oh, we tell everybody, put that on the news. But your good tips, we keep it quiet. Don't tell everybody. You don't share everybody, uh, share with everybody your entire new master marketing strategy because they may steal it. So good news is kept quiet. Bad news we talk about. However, we are wired, generally speaking, across humanity, we are wired to love to share hopeful news. We are. The minute someone is getting married, they get engaged, what do they do? I mean, now we have an engagement party. Invite everybody to tell them our happy news. And then whenever they get pregnant, what do we do? We create some fantastic scenario and videotape it and put it on the internet because the whole world wants to know that I'm having a boy, right? Oh, don't look at me like you guys have not watched those videos on the internet. (laughs) How to tell everybody what your baby's going to be, boy or girl. (laughs) We love to share hopeful news. We get all excited. If you get a promotion, do you keep that a secret? If you get a new job, do you keep it a secret? No! You call your spouse as fast as you can. Guess what happened? It's going to be a boy. (laughs) I mean, I got a new job. By the way, I'm not having any more kids in case you're wondering. Just simply using it as an illustration has nothing to do with me. When it's springtime and you hear that the fish are biting, that's hopeful news. (laughs) Hallelujah. I got to go fishing yesterday. My daughter and I, we had a father-daughter date. We went fishing for a couple hours. It's so fun, catching fish. I enjoy spending time with my daughter too, but I love to catch fish. (laughs) No, we had a great time. Hopeful news travels fast. Sometimes we, we just love to share good news because it makes everybody happy. Something supernatural is happening at the church at Thessalonica. Something supernatural is happening and people are talking about it. Did you hear what is happening with these people in Thessalonica? So that gets us to our text, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out. The word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. And then it goes on into the next verse. But we're going to stop right there. So, verse 8. 
Now the word of the Lord is ringing out. Everyone say ringing out from you to people everywhere. Paul is drawing heavily on this metaphor of a gong or a trumpet. The point is a loud instrument of some sort that sends sound waves out in all directions and great distances from the source. Does that make sense? When you're a kid, did you ever make one of those little wooden paddle things and put it on a string and swing it around? Yeah, so the outdoorsmen are here for all the guys that know how to make one of those things. Yeah, you put this little piece of thin wood on a string and you sling it around real fast and and it makes, go ahead, Larry, go for it. (laughs) Usually I'm the one that embarrasses myself. It goes, and you can hear it forever. It's like uh, like a didgeridoo, only you don't blow any, right? And the idea of the didgeridoo even is to, it's a, it's a, a sound that resonates and carries, right? Did you ever, since we live close to the mountains, did you ever stand in the valley, in a valley or on the side of a mountain, and you yell real loud, and the mountains cause your voice to echo back to you, right? But it also causes it to echo down the valley as well. It's pretty cool. So the news of the church at Thessalonica is ringing out one reverberation after another. So, so the church at Thessalonica, there, the news spreads to the next town, and then the news spreads to the next town, and then the news spreads to the next town. It's ver- reverberating. It's ringing out from them. Paul's making a big issue of telling these believers that the way they are living is impacting the surrounding world. Did you get that? Because I know some of you are like, we got to get the message out. And Paul's telling them, live worthy of your calling and the message will resonate. The way you are living is impacting the surrounding world. Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica, your life is making a difference. Does that resonate with you? I mean, as a man, I don't want to live my life and it not make a difference. That's terrible. So I'm looking for a way to make a difference as I go through this life. And Paul is saying, you live a life worthy of your calling. You're calling it to the kingdom and the glory of God. And it will make a difference. He says the word of the Lord in verse 8. It's a great phrase. Uh, There's a lot of variations in how it's translated. The word of the Lord is not a word from the Lord. There's a difference here. When he says the word of the Lord is not a word from the Lord. The word of the Lord is this hopeful news of what the Lord is doing at Thessalonica. News, news of their exemplary lives is what is ringing out all over the land. The news that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week, God has demonstrated in this group of people at Thessalonica that he loves them and has chosen them to be his very own people. This news of this transformation of these people is reverberating all over Greece and beyond. 
That's just an incredible story because you have to think that these people don't have the internet. They don't have cell phones. They don't even have, what's the little tappy thing? Telegraph? They don't have it. They don't have, they don't have one of those things. Isn't that an aborigine thing? I don't know. I just make stuff up sometimes whenever I preach. God, God has validated to these believers in Thessalonica. And, and so, so the news that is traveling is that God himself, self, this living God, has validated his calling of these humble, persecuted people to share in his kingdom and his glory. This is spectacular news. This is sensational news. This is front page newsworthy, right? So news is traveling fast that when Paul and Silas, it's, it's traveling so fast that when Paul and Silas and Timothy arrive at a new place, the people have already heard about the faith of the church at Thessalonica, and they've already heard about how it has changed the way these people are living and behaving. Yeah, because there's, there's a transformation in their actions and their behavior and the way they live, because now they're living a, a life worthy of their calling. Now, number two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make an application later on. For now, we're just setting this all up. Point number two, testimony of, trans, of transformation. Testimony of transformation. Uh... When we remodeled this building, we turned a bar into a church, and people talked. People made a lot of jokes, too, like bruising the good news. Um, there was a whole bunch of jokes about what all we could do with this. But the, the, the deal is that Desert Heights is, is taking over this bar that's been a bar for 45 years, I think, and, uh, and they're turning it into a church. And oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that is. And so Desert Heights was kind of the buzz around town of what we were doing. And that's all well and good. You know what is more exciting and more newsworthy than transforming a building that was a bar into a church? What is more exciting, because nobody's answering me, so I'll give you the answer. When lives are transformed from faithless to faithful, when lives are transformed from hopeless to hopeful. Because I'm telling you, it's more supernatural to transform a person from faithless to faithful than it is to change a bar into a church. Because this is just bricks and mortar, mud and tape, and paint and carpet. This is really pretty mundane. This is not spectacular. What is spectacular is when the living God reaches down and touches mankind and poof, transforms him. Oh, we're not even to the good part of the text yet. That is exciting. So in verse 8, he, he has told us, he says, uh, so I'm carrying on. Uh, he says, for wherever... For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. Uh, in verse 9, here we go. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you guys gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Amen. So the church had not only the church at Thessalonica whenever uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy whenever, and the rest of the entourage, when they showed up, they not only welcomed those guys, but we read about it in Acts chapter 17, uh, that the church there actually protected them from a mob of jealous Jews. 
who had started a riot against them. It's actually a pretty big deal. They came to this guy's house and they're like, give us Paul and Silas and Timothy. We want to kill them. And they, they, they didn't. They protected them. So it's a pretty, pretty incredible story. I'm not going to go through all the details because I had to keep going forward. But basically what has happened is this: the news of the Thessalonican people uh, welcoming Paul and Silas and Timothy, the news is that these, these converted Jews and Gentiles two races of people, two different religious groups, are working together to protect relative strangers who are promoting a controversial message. It was a testimony of these people really have been transformed, and we see that just because they're able to work together. One of the common characteristics of God being involved in people's lives throughout even Scripture is their ability, supernatural ability, to bring people from different backgrounds together in unity. It's pretty cool. It's a whole other sermon. This news was traveling faster than Paul and Silas and Timothy were traveling, but it wasn't just the news that the church uh, had protected this, these missionaries. It was the news of Gentiles who were turning away from serving. Picture this in your head. you got to get your mind around this. This news is traveling of these Greeks, of the Gentiles, who were turning away from serving their long-held traditional idols. They were turning away from those idols in order to serve the living and the true God. Now, this is transformational faith. Think about it. This isn't just, oh, we're going to do something different. We're going to eat at a different restaurant today. No, this is a whole letting go of some traditions, letting go of some long-held values in order to hold on to faith in God. The faith in their wooden metal idols had changed to faith in a God who was alive. There's the contrast. Their faith previously... And for a, a long-held faith had been in wooden idols, metal idols, things that showed no sign of life. And now their faith is in the God who is alive, who had risen from the dead and promised them eternal life. I mean, their idols before, it wasn't, well, they, they weren't able to do that. So imagine, uh, engage your imagination with me for a second. He said, you have Paul and Silas and Timothy. They show up in this new place to preach the gospel. And the people responded. We've already heard about the people in Thessalonica who have put their faith in Jesus. Can you imagine? You go to an unreached people group, or at least what you thought was an unreached people group. You get there and they say, We've already heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ because we've heard about the believers in Thessalonica. They are living transformed, transcendent lives. Talk about God preparing the ground to receive the gospel for salvation. It's pretty incredible. The news of their lives, the news of their worthy lives went before them, went even before the gospel. So, so you have Jews and Gentiles they're worshiping together and they're getting along? Really? Yeah, that's what's going on in Thessalonica. It's all these people of diverse backgrounds getting along and being unified in their faith in Jesus Christ. They're suffering severely, yet they remain positive about life now and they even have a hope for the future? Yes, that's what the Holy Spirit does whenever he gets involved in our mundane, boring lives. He gives us hope. 
He makes us positive. He gives us joy where there's no reasonable reason to have joy. If this God has the power to unify people over race and religion, watch out. He must be really powerful, right? And there's direct applications to that in our world. If God has the power to unify people over race and religion, he must be powerful. If this God has, oh, you know what? I'm not going to leave it alone. I'm just having a thought and I'm just going to go for it. So every once in a while, I hear people say, well, Brent, we need to, to, uh, to target in churches. We need to be intentional and purposeful about reaching older people, reaching younger people, reaching people of less color, of more color, uh, reaching people of this socioeconomic status or this socioeconomic status. And, and so we got to be all specific. And then I read scripture and it's like, God takes a hodgepodge of humanity sticks them all together, makes them sing in one voice and glorify God. Amen. So I'm just not finding where we have to be purposeful about figuring out who we're going to reach. What I do see is living purpose, purposeful about living a life worthy of my calling. Take care of you. All the rest of it will take care of itself. It's good preaching, Brent. Yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> So if this God has the power to bring people together from every nation and every tribe, which was promised to us back in Genesis, did you follow what I just said? If this God, this living God, has the power to bring people together of every nation and every tribe, maybe this is the God I should be putting my faith in. Maybe instead of Christianity shouting our faith at those who are lost, we could live our faith out loud so that the rest of the world could see our faith and that they too could trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life should be a testimony of supernatural transformation. That's good preaching. Your life... Uh, every once in a while. So coming up through the ranks of Christianity, I've been in lots of how to share your testimony classes. I have one. I'll do it right now. Stop sinning! <laughs> Class dismissed. Church, we cannot say that our faith is in an eternal God while we wallow in sin and then try to figure out how do I tell people about my Jesus and my faith. You don't have a faith! That was harsh, wasn't it? Because everything that the scripture teaches us is that when we put our faith in God and the Holy Spirit comes and transforms our lives, we act differently. We behave differently. We are now empowered by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, to have joy in severe suffering. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, not be overcome by sin. Are you with me? So we had to live different. So, so there's, there's my how to share your testimony uh, sermon. Live for God. Live in obedience to God. People will look at your life and be like, wow! Number three, news of hope. Don't get all excited. This is my longest uh, point. I know y'all are like, point three, it's only 1116. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And they speak, Paul is talking about the, as he travels, the news that's been going on before them about Thessalonica. And they speak of how you, the Thessalonican church, 
are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Now, watch this. The news that was ringing out to people everywhere, the news that's ringing out, reverberating across Greece and beyond, was number one, how they welcomed Paul and his people. Number two, how the Jews and Gentiles had turned uh, from idols and they were putting their faith in the living true God. And then the third thing is news of God's Son. God's Son, Jesus, rising from the dead. Rising from the dead and rescuing us from the terrors of the coming judgment, whose, and his name is Jesus. So it was about the welcoming of Paul and his people. It, the news was about the, the Gentiles turning their faith to a living and true God. And third, it was about this man named Jesus, who is the Son of God, who rose from the dead and is going to rescue us from judgment. So think with me again. Use your imagination. Imagine that you're a Greek. Uh, yeah, imagine you're a Greek. And you have worshipped a variety of Greek gods that make themselves known through the carvings of human hands and the words of tradition. You with me? I mean, that's, that's the religion that you know is these carvings, uh, these uh, stone carvings. These gods are fundamentally selfish. They demand to be served. They demand to be fed. Even though when you bring them food, they don't actually eat it. They demand to be paid. They demand to be appeased. You know, make the gods happy and it'll rain at the right time of year. Make the gods happy and the harvest will be good. We've heard all these types of stories. You've never heard of these gods speaking to men or actually being alive. They're simply carved, crafted, wooden, metal, stone idols, images. So that's what you know of religion. And then this man comes along, or this group of people, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and you hear of this God, this other God, who has sent his son from heaven to earth. He didn't send an image that was carved. He actually sent his own son, this, this God's son, the other God from all the other God, this God's son became flesh and blood, just like, well, just like us. And he came and he lived here on earth. Yet the Jews crucified him. The Jews crucified this son of God. This God, when the Jews crucified his son, did he retaliate and pour out fire on the Jews? No. When this son of this God died, the God rose his, raised, I don't know what the right tense is there, raised his son from death to life. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Not only was the son, this son of God alive, but when he died, then he was raised to life again. I mean, this is, this really is a living God. Can you imagine to the Greeks? This is news of life. 
This is news of hope. This is news of, we don't pray to a dead, vengeful, selfish God. We have heard now about this God who gives himself and loves his people and has chosen them to become like him. But that's not all. There's more. It's like an infomercial, huh? So here in the last sentence of, of verse 10, Paul changes up who he's, how, who he's talking to. Uh, it's subtle, but I, I really do believe it, it's here. So, so this is the first time that he includes himself. He says, rescued us. Paul includes himself in, in what is happening in the text. Now, it's my opinion. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time with this. But it, it is my opinion that this last sentence, this last phrase, is not part of the news that is being spread. But it is a little tidbit of encouragement that Paul intends for the people at Thessalonica or for the reader. Okay? So we are in this, Paul is saying to Thessalonica, he says, we are in this together. Jesus will rescue us all together. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool, but keep, watch what happens. Rescue, the word rescue, verb, it's in the present participle. And now somebody's like, Brent, you are geeking really bad right now. What a nerd. Present participle. Uh, you got to get your grammar on. So that means that rescue is a process that has already begun and is still in the process of completion. So it's not past tense rescued. It's not future tense will rescue. It is God has, by his son Jesus Christ, Man, we're fixing to get really excited about present participles. (laughs) Jesus Christ has begun the work of rescuing us, and he is going to continue that work until it's complete. And we're standing in the middle of being rescued. Isn't that cool? That's good. It is this resurrected Jesus. It is this son of the living God that has the power, because he's demonstrated the power. And he has the ability to rescue us. All of us who have been called to share in his kingdom and his glory. That's what God is up to. That's what Jesus, the son of the living God, is up to. He's rescuing us. Jesus has already begun the process and will continue the process of rescuing us from God's judgment in this world and in the world to come. I don't know if I... I I put the emphasis on a different spot there, so I'm going to read it all again. Jesus has already begun the process and will continue the process of rescuing us, you and I, from God's judgment, His wrath against sin, In this world now, and also in the world to come. It's perfect participle, because we need rescuing today. Do we need rescued from sin? I'm raising my hand. Uh, I'm the only sinner. (laughs) We need rescued from sin today, and we understand the eschatology. We understand the future events that God is going to pour out his wrath and his judgment on sin in the future. So I need rescued today, but I'm fully aware that I need rescued forever and ever as well. So this is the news of rescue. This is the news of hope, both now and in the future. Do you see how we can have joy in this? We're rescued. 
this is bad and I fail. But my hope, my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us. He rescues me from my sin today and he'll continue to rescue me from my sin in the future. I have something to look forward to. I have something to hope in. And God did this. This was his plan. Listen, church, God is not against us. God is very much for us. He's so much for us that he sent his son Jesus to die and to be resurrected so that we can have eternal life. He sent his Holy Spirit to bring the power of that resurrection into your daily life so that you can live a life worthy of God's calling to his kingdom and his glory. It's good preaching, Brent. Amen. Mm -hmm. That was good. We should take up an offering. Feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we're going. God is not against you. God has orchestrated his whole plan to rescue you and to bring you into his kingdom. That's so good. We can live with joy. We can live with hope. We can live with faith because of what God has done. We can live our lives out loud. We don't have to preach it, everybody. We don't have to try to manipulate everybody to believe the way we want, want them to believe. What we can do is live our faith faithfully, lovingly, hopefully, and they'll look at our lives and one day say, I want what you have. How do I get it? Now, I'm on the last little bit of my notes. Here we go. Number one, hopeful news travels fast. Here's the deal. Christianity is a message of hope. It's a message of hope both for today and for the future. Are you with me? So we should live that way. Number two, it's a testimony of transformation. We have a testimony of transformation. The way you live is your testimony. Either your life has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you live a life of hope and worthy of your calling, or... You continue to live a hopeless, untransformed life. You don't get it both ways. Uh, we've cheapened the gospel down to, uh, hey, you can, you can call yourself a Christian and live however you want. Well, <laughs> you can say that, doesn't make it true, because it's not what the Bible says. Uh, you've been transformed. Your old is gone, new has come, been transformed. You're, you're a new creation, a new creation. That means that you don't act like you used to act popular sermon, huh? All right, number three, news of hope. News of hope. Jesus is the son of the living God. This is the hope that we have, is that Jesus is not a dead God. He's not a God that was just a tradition. He is a God that is living. Jesus is the one who rescues us from God's judgment against sin today and rescues us in the future as well. You and I possess the message of hope. Isn't that cool? It's like the church at Thessalonica. They didn't even know they had it. They're just living for Jesus, just loving God, living in joy, doing what they're supposed to do because that's what the Holy Spirit is inside of them, leading them to do. They're just living, and they lived out a message of hope. You and I have that message of hope. We have a message of hope. And I've said it before, and it's worthy of saying again, this is plan A. God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is through the church. There's not a plan B. 
God is counting on His Holy Spirit in us, shining, ringing out to the rest of the world. Oh, it's so good. You and I get to live in such a way that the word of the Lord rings out from our lives and transforms the lives of others. That's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us all about. Now, I'm going to pray with you, and then uh, Josh is going to come and share about uh, life groups, okay? So don't, don't run around. Stay steady. All the donuts are gone. <laughs> They're not, and so I'll say this while I'm thinking about it. I see donuts back there. Don't go get them before service is over, but after service, please make them disappear because if they're here tomorrow, we got problems, <laughs> serious problems. All right, Father, we love you. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross, that was resurrected on the third day, that gives us hope, that gives us eternal life today, that gives us eternal life for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the presence of Jesus in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit being involved and active in every aspect of our lives, that he leads and guides us. He gives us hope for now. He gives us hope for the future. He helps us to overcome sin today. He, he just transforms us and gives us joy when there's no reason for joy. Father, we thank you for this incredible work of salvation that you have brought to us, that you have planned for your people. Your plan to transform us into a life that is worthy of your calling. You're calling us into your kingdom and you're calling us into your glory. Father, thank you for your work in us. We just love you and we, we want to do, we, we surrender all of ourselves to you. That you would work in us. That you would set us free so that your Holy Spirit can function and work and and be manifested in every aspect of our lives, that the world will look on and see your glory, and that they will desire to have the life, the glorious life that you have given us. Lord, help us to be like a city set on a hill. Not that the world would see us, but that through our good deeds, they would see Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that we get to be a part of this incredible kingdom of yours. We thank you that we get to be your very own people. We're just grateful that we get to be the body of Christ and be joined together to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate life and to celebrate hope. Lord, we love you. We give you glory and honor and praise in all that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.